0: This podcast is brought to you by Digital One. Tell your story, connect with your audience, and
1: build your brand with an engaging podcast. Learn more at d i g o n e
2: dot It's the Mount Freelance Show. It'll help your freelance grow. We're cracking jokes and talking to folks who are in the freelance know. Cause it's the Mount Freelance Show. Yes, and this is our intro. That's correct. So take a seat and kick up your feet for the Mount Freelance Podcast Show.
0: Welcome to the Mount Freelance Podcast. I am Andrew Dixon. With me here is Aaron James. Hello, Andrew.
1: How are you? I'm great. Why are we doing this podcast again? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Let's just say, Andrew and I, we have been freelancing for a couple of decades combined. Um, We've had the pleasure of working with some really great people and learning a lot of great things, and it's time to bring those to uh, to the interwebs. Aaron, yes. Was I your
0: first pick to partner with you on Mount Freelance?
1: Well, ultimately, yes. But I may have talked to our, our next guest about this idea um, before you. So And she said no. She she politely declined and said, You're crazy. And then I went knocking on your door. Fortunately,
0: she said yes to coming on our podcast. She's a legend in the in the advertising world. Um, just such a successful and fantastic freelance copywriter, um, but also has written books. Yeah. Novels, um, historical novels. Romantic novels.
1: Young adult novels. Um, and she's prolific and also has all sorts of Hollywood uh, opportunities knocking on her door with um, the books she's writing for films and uh, series. I'm really excited to
0: talk writer to writer with Kathy Heppenstahl. Aaron, you're welcome to stick around and listen. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Kathy, welcome to the podcast.
2: I'm happy to be here. How happy? I'm ecstatic. I've had a couple of cups of coffee and I just met Dan and I just met I just met Dan Rather, so I'm ecstatic right now.
1: That is amazing.
0: Did you give him a little wink or a nod or did you did you break the fourth wall?
2: I looked searchingly into his eyes and he looked into mine and he may have seen a, a spark of soul still left there. Hard to say.
0: Well, why don't you tell us what do you when you're at a cocktail party and someone asks you, you know, what what do you do? How do you how do you contextualize your your career?
2: Um, sometimes I just say I'm in advertising. Like uh, Dan Rather asked me, "What are you here for?" and I said, "Oh, it's for freelance advertising." And sometimes I feel when you when I say I'm in advertising and I'm an author, then there's the little dance you have to do. Oh, are you? Published through um, a publishing house? Are you self-published? And and then when uh, uh, so so sometimes I say I'm I'm um, in advertising and I'm a uh, a freelance writer, and sometimes I say I'm I'm kind of I'm in advertising. I'm a freelance writer, and I also write novels on the side. But I'm almost never invited to cocktail parties because of my personality.
0: Well, and I think that's the the reason that we're so excited to talk to you is not only are you one of the most sought after copywriters in advertising, but then you have is it five five published books?
2: Um, I have uh, eight published novels. i oh my I've written gosh, nineteen or nineteen or twenty, and I've published eight, um, six under my uh, name Kathy Hepinstall, and then and then two young adult under my married name Kathy Parks. So working on number 9 right now. Holy cow.
0: Which which came first, advertising or or writing novels?
2: I think they kind of came up in tandem. I always had aspirations to write novels, so I was writing short stories. I started with poems when I was a little kid and I'm proud to say I made my mother cry. That was a super hard audience as your own mother. And then as I got older, I wanted to write short stories, and I began to write those. And I'm not particularly great at short stories. That's its own format. So then I began, went out to L.A. and started in an advertising. And um, I, I had aspirations to write a novel, but it's easier said than done, and I struggled a lot in the early years learning how to write. So I was in advertising for only a couple of years before I went freelance because Even back then, freelance is an opportunity to use energy and not time as your value, as your currency. That if you go into an institution, whether it's a corporation or an ad agency, and I've worked full-time at both, if you go into an institution, there's a certain block of time that you're expected to be there in which you're productive and not productive. But when you freelance, you can collapse that productive time into a much smaller ball. And then leave yourself open to, to doing something else that you that you love maybe a little more.
1: As you're kind of going through advertising and, and you and you were full time for a little bit and then you went freelance. Were there things about full time that that you didn't like? I mean, you just talked about the, the energy, and the time kind of equation, but like, what else do you find uh, the difference between freelance and full time?
2: Well, full time is um, someplace place that. Um, I, I didn't hate being I, I love the camaraderie there especially uh, in, prior, you know, in prior times I, I love the energy of, of other people and I, I love that I, I felt that I lost track of myself when I was full time Like weeks and months would pass in kind of a blur and then I would come out the other end and find myself without structure again and needing, feeling like I needed to start another writing project so it wasn't a bad thing. It just it just felt that I, I never quite found a place that that was in the right place at the right time for me. But I do know there's some people that have worked full time and they still write novels and they do very well. And even like James Patterson used to write novels when he was at, I think he was at J. Walter Thompson. And he's done pretty well without advertising for a while. He's done okay. He's, you know, he's all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he breaks that top top 100 bestsellers every now and then. What, what drew you to advertising in the first place? And especially, you know, um, it, it's, it's changing for the better, but traditionally a very male-dominated space.
2: Well, I was in I was in a class in advertising at creative advertising at UT. I just took the sequence there, which is just three classes in a row. And I think I was a radio, TV, and film major, which is a major at the time that I could get through knowing very little. Uh, so I picked that just out of a hat, and still know very little. But <laughs> I took uh, I stayed an extra year and took the advertising sequence, and there I met some of the most. Uh, Funniest uh, amazing people I've ever met and I thought, wow I, I've really found found my tribe I, I feel like ad people are kind of cut from a different cloth and and uh, for being in such a cynical business, they're some of the most idealistic people I've ever met. So I enjoyed the friendship of ad people and I found that the writing that I did I could turn to that medium advertising and make money that way and get recognition that way. And I didn't, you know, I've got friends that went other ways. They were purely writers and they would just make just enough to make, to to get by on. And everything was about the book. But I think there's many paths to writing a novel.
0: For, you know, we obviously, myself especially, know what a copywriter does. But maybe for someone who's listening, who's not kind of, you know, doesn't really know what that means or, or confuses it with copy editing. Can you talk a little bit about what you... You know, you're, you're brought in and, and paid a lot of money by big agencies working with huge clients. What are you usually asked to, to, to do?
2: Well, often I'm asked to help with the brand, like rebranding or brand voice. And the first thing usually is the manifesto. Um, and I think uh, Aaron calls me Kathy Festo. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> and uh, that way you... You write out what is the intention of the company, and you 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 make it sort of a north star for what the work will be. I have also do everything, and as the mediums have exploded, there's nothing that I haven't done. Whether it's social media writing, so um, television writing, um, print not so much these days, um, all kinds of all, all all kinds of writing, and all, often when they say a writer and an art director it's not as you guys know it's not just the writer does the writing and the art director does the visuals there's a they work together and so sometimes I've worked with art directors who've rewritten my copy and made it better so those people will never be found mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> they're dead killed them
2: <laughs> they're dead and and likewise, I think I have kind. Of, I I think after a while in the business, you can't help but have somewhat of a visual eye. So, it's a combination.
0: You are again one of the most sought after freelancers, and you know when whenever I'm thinking of other copywriters to recommend, your name comes up. Whenever I'm in a room with other freelancers, and your name comes up, everyone's like, "Oh, Kathy, do you feel like you've kind of still have a tribe, even though you are freelance within you know kind of the advertising world?"
2: Um. It's it's definitely more dispersed now. Like it's 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 not as I used to live in L.A. and it was just uh, in earlier days there were more more people went on site back then. There was more of a community back then, and uh, now I feel like I still have a tribe, as in you guys and others around the country. I don't. It's just harder to communicate because I don't do a lot of social media anymore, and um, you do feel a little isolated from pulling out of that particular medium. But in terms of having a tribe of like-minded people who have become my best friends, yes, I still – I found most of my best friends in advertising.
0: Do you have that – a similar community with – you know kind of within novel writing and, and literature?
2: No, I really don't. Um, I, I just feel like I'm not sure why, but uh, it might just be the hours in a day. I just feel like I've had my head down you know right, uh, working and, and writing on my own and I've never have been in, in a particular community of writers uh, but maybe that comes now)
0: Here in Portland, Aaron, we can get Stumptown Coffee whenever we want, but what do folks who live elsewhere need to do? Um, I'm not sure, actually. They go to the internet, and they can actually sign up to get a subscription service where every other Monday, fresh whole bean coffee is going to be sent to their door. Oh, my gosh. So it's like a magazine? That you can drink. (sighs) It, do they grind it? They don't, because they don't want any flavor to be lost in the mail. Ugh. If you enter MT Freelance at checkout, you're going to get 50% off your first order.
1: Oh, my gosh. Could you bump that up to half off that first order?
0: I think I have the authority. Yes! Okay. Half well, off.
1: Let's do it. MT Freelance at checkout at StumptownCoffee.com. One thing that, that we've always kind of talked about is that we, we trade some stories on on kind of tips and tricks or tactics, you know, I think a lot of uh, freelancers right now are really trying to establish, uh, kind of their value in the market. Um, and obviously, um, if you, if you freelance, right, you know, you're going to make more money and you're, and you're going to have more control over your time. Um, what are, what are some things that, that, Maybe some freelancers that are just starting out can do to start establishing kind of more value.
2: I think that that's a really good question. Um, first of all, is to just not fall into every career has got its stereotypes, and freelance stereotype is that lazy person that won't come on site and uh, doesn't come through, and all all those things that you hear. And so, what I try to do first is to whatever job it is to really bring an integrity to the job. And that means finding out little things. What's, what's the font they like to work with? Are they Zoom people? Are they Google Docs people? What is their style? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. I, I never feel like I'm going to go and I'm going to make this work sound like me. I want it to sound like the best part of them. And I make that very clear. And then little things like saying thank you at the end of the job or saying how did we do instead of how did I do. I'm also very, very nice to the people on the front lines because sometimes they're not treated well, the people that sign you up for paperwork. All freelancers hate paperwork, but those are the same people that will get your check for you when it's late. So I would say that kind of respect that you give distinguishes you. And then if you are on social media, I would be the the cleanest, purest version of yourself on social media. Some people might disagree with me, but there's uh, if you imagine two circles that intersect, one is what you want to create, the advertising you want to create, and the other circle is the advertising that the agency can sell. Find out what the budget is. Don't have a uh, to a rocket ship when the budget's $100,000 for a TV spot. Don't have something that's completely off the client's brand that you think is hilarious. And I think in prior times, people did this more. There was There was more money, there was more time, more energy to experiment. And so now as a freelancer, I feel like I want, they're paying me a lot of money to give them something they can sell to a client. And so within that, what is it? I'm not saying I don't stretch, but I'm always keeping in the back of my head: Is this wasting their time and money? Can they sell this?
1: I think that's really insightful to to see. Like, hey, this has really evolved, and as a freelancer, I and I want I want to create value, and I want to be a first call for these people. I need to have their best interests and in mine uh, above my own.
2: Right, and 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 more and more, I get uh, calls for things that I have very, very little time to do. And uh, that's fine. I'll, 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 I'll take that. I think last year I worked for 36 different entities, uh, corporations and uh, agencies. And as, just, um, aside from a couple of longer gigs, the average time was probably three to four days. And that's, that's, a, that's a big shift from 10 or even five years ago. So they're looking for people who will come through. I I feel to keep myself being that first call, I'm going to respect that and respect the fact that there's usually a fight you know, within an agency or corporation for money before I'm even called. Blood's on the floor. And so the budget that they call and give to me is precious to them. And it's... Uh, it, I don't want to waste their money.
0: You mentioned something about um, you know charging a, a lot of money. What what is your sort of approach to negotiation and and you know or even any any advice for for fellow freelancers in that arena?
2: I think that it's it's you you don't want to outsmart yourself, honestly, especially these days. Like I I tend to get the rate that I want, but I've I've been more flexible in recent years because say I come in at twenty dollars a day. Well, I'm gonna hire you twenty dollars a day. <laughs> oh god, i'm I am I'm really flexible these days. Uh, I just don't I don't know what people are charging out there, so I'm just gonna give yeah, you an yeah, example. Yeah. So there are there are those those companies that feel safe with the lower day rate, no no matter what., um, they would rather hire somebody for thirty days at ten dollars a day who won't solve the problem than me. At twenty dollars a day for three days, that will because they see that twenty dollars and they don't. They they do a different math than than what's in my head, so I try not to outsmart myself. If if they say we only have this amount, and it's a nice long gig, and it's uh, friendly people, and it's something that I can do, um, I won't. I won't cause too much of a fuss about it. I think that you can end up getting off people's lists because they'll just go, oh, too expensive. And the other thing I'll do is I'll say, well, it's what, I, what I'm what i charging is this amount per day. But if you want to do a project rate, it's usually much less. And so I offer that sometimes.
0: And what does that offer you, just the, the chance to be more flexible in, in your time?
2: Yeah, it, it offers me a chance to be more flexible I really, really also concentrate a lot, especially project rate, on deliverables. And I want, to me, a deliverable like, okay, for, for those that don't know, a deliverable is like, do you guys need a manifesto, three TV spots, a social media platform, and uh, three examples? I try to get it down to exactly what they need because if you do a project rate especially, I, I say, okay, that it's not based on time. A project rate is based on deliverables. And to me, everybody feels like they're getting something fair. They're getting that deliverable, those checked off, and I'm getting a finite amount of work to do for a finite amount of money.
0: Yeah, I like the, the project fee as well because it, I mean, they don't really need to know how quickly I can think and write. <laughs> so, you know, so, I mean, it, it might take two days to come up with the idea, but once you have it, you can write it and, Ten minutes.
2: You're right. I mean, if if I charged just from the specific time I put into some projects, I would go broke. But um, there was years and years and years of learning to be that fast.
0: One one of the other things that I've I've noticed and admire about you is that when you're on site, you really reach out to 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 juniors, and especially, you know, young female copywriters, and I see you actively engaging them, and I see you t- t- taking them out to lunch, and, and you know, even, I know you're not a, a huge um, beast on social media, but when you do post on LinkedIn, it's always geared towards helping people and offering advice?
2: Well, first of all, it's just based on a huge admiration I have for other creatives, and, and kind of an awe at how some of them can just be so amazing and do so many amazing things, and I'm especially attracted to people who are just good, kind people and humble on top of their enormous talents. Part of it is wanting to keep up with the business and, and wanting to grow and and change with the business and getting their ideas. But also, when I, when I wrote novels, I basically locked myself in a house for three years and I covered the windows with sheets because I was probably technically insane. <laughs> and I taught myself how to write novels because nobody taught me. And I love the reason I post on LinkedIn, especially lately, the reason I try to help people is that I really want to show shortcuts that nobody showed me, but if I can show somebody and then I can show them a, a ninja mind trick that will help them feel better about themselves when they write, or write faster, or write more efficiently, well then um, that that gives me enormous pleasure. Plus, I think I'm good at mentoring. I think it's sort of a natural talent. I'm not good at a lot of things, but I know mentoring's one of them.
0: Hey, friends. Amazon is going to be just fine. So the next time you're looking to buy books, shop with an independent bookseller like Powell's Books. Powell's has tens of thousands of new and used books, plus puzzles, games, all kinds of stuff. What about mugs? They Yes, they even have mugs. Oh, okay, mugs, yeah. If you don't Great. live in Portland, Oregon, no problem. Just shop powells.com and make your brain happy. So how how do you, man? I mean, you're, you're you talked about when you learn to write novels sort of locking yourself in a house for 3 years how, now you're it seems like the the copywriting and the novel writing almost inform each other how, but they're so drastically different writing short form stuff and then writing something that's going to end up being 300 pages how how, do, how does that how do you balance and manage that
2: it, it's all in little steps you know i i'm a big uh, i i really hate the word writer's block for example Um, I want to find the person who made up that phrase and I would like to key his car, even though keys, it's hard to key cars with electric keys these days. I just wanted to add that. (laughs) I get sad when people are given metaphors that defeat them. A block is something made of concrete or wood that is impenetrable. So writer's block is nothing more than the hesitation of a fearful writer's brain. And the way through it, the cure for writer's block, which does not exist, is writing. It's not going to a psychologist and finding out why you feel this way. It's not reading books on writer's block. It's not any of that. The cure for writer's block is writing. So how do you do that though? Well, it's little wins. If you can imagine the beginning of any kind of of novel or even campaign is a hill. The end is another hill. The writer's brain stands on top of that first hill and they see that chasm. And that inspires fear, and the cure for that is orders, small orders, small wins, and encouragement. So let's just take a novel. Two hills, beginning of the novel, end of the novel, first page. You need to start laying a bridge between those two hills so that your writer's brain feels more and more confident walking across that bridge. So what kind of things do that? Um, raw Raw materials a title, an outline, research. The more and more you do that, the more and more you build um, a surface upon which your muse or your subconscious is willing to venture out. Now I give myself little tasks like when I'm really seriously writing I give myself, okay, write three pages a day or five pages or ten pages. Whatever it is, I write it out on a calendar. I write out what the beginning is and what the end is. And when you write down something, your brain takes it more seriously. And I also write encouragement for myself. I think every writer, if they write something good, they should write, damn, that's good writing. Write it under that. Because writers have a complex machinery to beat themselves up when they don't think they've done well. But there's no complex machinery for celebration and that's how I've become so efficient over the years. That's why I can write a shitty novel in, in uh, six weeks or whatever it was. <laughs> is because, well, you know, they talk about the carrot and the stick. A brain is, is, a, is an animal, and it responds to a carrot and a stick like a horse does. My – if I, there's one thing I could say to the, all the writers out there, always the carrot, never, never the stick. Say, if, say it's an animal – say it's a dog or a horse, let's just say it's a horse, and this horse has worked all day to please you on this page or this paragraph and struggled. And then if you turn around and tell somebody or tell yourself this is crap, there is much less chance of the horse trying again that hard for you the next time. So I am very encouraging to myself. It's not the same as narcissism. It's not the same as being arrogant. I treat myself with the love that I know I need to for me to finish the work.
0: I have never heard of a writer writing, damn that's good writing, underneath something they've written. That is so I've never thought to do that. It's 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 pretty pretty incredible.
2: Well, when you think of it, like, I never bothered to have kids, but suppose you have this baby, and when parents te- teach their children to walk, well, how come they don't threaten the kids, and, like, how come they don't say, hey, dumbass, put the fat <laughs> foot down in front of the other fat <laughs> foot, idiot, or I'm going to hit you. <laughs> the baby still learns to walk. It still learns to run, it, it, but it responds He, she, I don't mean to say it, he, she responds to the love and encouragement when you stretch your hands out to the baby and say, come to me, you can do it. You have some, you have hands to hold on this side. And, hey, you took two steps? That's great. They never say, oh, why not three steps, failure baby? (laughs) (laughs) The babe. So when writers say, "Well, I'll never learn to write if I keep praising myself." No, you praise yourself for what you did well, and you learn that way as your own best friend, as your own muse. It sounds. like, Do you love writing? Not, not, not anymore. I used to love writing. I love communicating. I, I love when people write me back. Like a couple of people wrote me back on LinkedIn and said, "Thank." One of them said, uh, "Thanks for being a cheerleader for tortured souls everywhere," and. Like I said, I don't read my comments. There's always some jackass lurking in the comment section that makes me feel bad. And as a writer, I know I have to protect my mind from that. So I don't read the comments. So if somebody writes me something like that, that meant so much to me that somebody would feel better as a result of something I've written.
0: Well, and then you've got some, you've got eight published novels and some pretty exciting news around the Book of Polly. How, how, can you tell us about that and how that feels as, a, as kind of a new way to communicate your 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 deeper stories with the world?
2: Yeah. Um, there's a producer that's been very faithful to me throughout the years and she's always been a big fan of my work and she has optioned several of my novels and has really struggled to bring them to light. And, you know what's happening these days the channels are opening up the need for content is now a a giant fire hose and somehow she knew the head of Amazon's new young adult film department and book of polly isn't strictly a young adult book it's told from the viewpoint of a f- you know 11 to 14 year old girl but it was meant to be an adult literary novel so my producer got me a a partner a screenwriting partner and we've been doing uh drafts from amazon but it's exciting because it's the closest i've ever gotten to getting a green light before and you know fingers crossed by next month we'll know
1: yeah well i think what you got into um you know, means a lot to Andrew and I, because there's such an abundance out there. And I know we always kind of say that, but it's like, we don't need to keep every contact to ourselves. We don't need to, you know, there's, if a job comes up that you can't take, you can share it. And so I think this idea of helping people is fabulous. And I know that, um, in, in a lot of ways, helping people to get the courage to, to break through these little steps of writing a novel is actually even probably tougher than freelance, you know. <laughs> I think it's a very rare and um, it's a rare skill, but I also think it's it, like you're saying, it's like it's there, there are steps you can take to um, to really get going on it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're being taught by our culture and our media, our news, our government to operate from scarcity, we're not a bunch of rats aboard a ship struggling over the last bits of crumbs. There's, there's abundance out there. There's abundance of freelance jobs. You walk into a bookstore and you see thousands of novels that were all published. There's an abundance, and that should allow for generosity. That should allow for sharing. And I feel like everything now is based on fear, how much fear you can inspire is what gets you clicks or gets you eyeballs. Well, it's just not true. It's not the way the world really is. And it's a shame. It's making good people be afraid. It's making good people feel like they have to hoard the jobs or not pass around names. And um, I think in any medium, we can have generosity and fuzzy feelings. So I appreciate so much what you guys are doing, and you guys are the two guys to do it.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, sometimes I you know, when I'm around, I'm on a freelance job and and people are stressing out, I kind of go to this like, and sometimes I'll share it with the person who's also kind of making, you know, like looking to me for, for, you know, to build that bridge because, and I, you know, I'm kind of like, it's just advertising, but that's maybe even the way to, wrong way to frame it. It's like, guys, look at what we get to do. We are in a heated building with amazing food being delivered to us. Getting the you know, getting to spend a lot of a client's money to help them hopefully do something, you know, cool or communicate something interesting and, and you know, there is a there's definitely a privilege to it that I think sometimes, you know, I don't want to forget because we get to do something really fun.
2: That is that is so true. And gratitude is so important. And one thing I would say is if you're freelancing in a building, go find the cleaning person and, and find out what their name is because they're the only one that if they don't show up in, uh, for a week that people will notice.
1: Wow, that is that is true. What's interesting about this group of, of freelancers on, with Mount Freelance is, is uh, you know, it's not all advertising. It's actually kind of an interesting um, cross-section of people across music and design and UX and and management and even some you know recruiting talent but they're, they're we're really starting to see a generosity in the group and you know helping each other um, and it I love being competitive um, with myself to make the best work that I can make but I really am kind of tired of trying to feel this n- need to be competitive with other people and yeah, the rats on the ship. Yeah, I. That's a great way to put it because uh, we're not. We're rats on an island.
2: <laughs> <laughs> on a bounteous island, we're friendly, glorious rats. And there's
1: coconuts. Yeah. Everywhere.
2: No, yeah. I. I fear really makes you contract, and and peacefulness and generosity makes you expand. And I. I. I just want to make sure that this this media landscape and this world and this technological landscape that we have to navigate doesn't make me contract. And doesn't make me fearful because then you can't really be of help to anybody else
0: kathy it has been such a pleasure talking to you and having you on the podcast
2: thank you guys
1: all right it's time for the q a time uh with mount freelance hey when it comes to productivity do you get up super early or do you stay up super late i'm just curious to hear a perspective on that
0: I have kids, <laughs> so I get, <laughs> I, get, I wake them up and, uh, yeah, no, I'm kind of a – I definitely – I kind of keep bankers hours. On, and that's actually what I like about freelance is, you know, when I was working at White and Kennedy, I mean, my you know, it, it, I, there was always the call at like 8 p.m. to my wife being like, I, I don't know when I'm coming home. And uh, as a freelancer, I mean, I'm like, hey, what do you want for dinner? I'm cooking. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I really try to keep that um, – You know, almost like kind of a nine-to-five schedule. And then, yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, I put in a little work in the evening, especially if I get inspired. Sometimes, you know, uh, after that, you know, after a little dinner and a beer, suddenly the ideas start coming. Um, But yeah, and then I also really try not to work weekends.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think for me personally, I think I've, I've paid a lot more attention to when I get my best work done. And... Um, so I think it's kind of personal. I would definitely take that into account. And then I kind of protect that time from client calls, uh, phone calls, you know, stuff like that. I try to push all that stuff to the afternoon and I get most of my kind of like deeper thinking kind of work done in, in the morning. The, the other thing is sometimes like we're on the West Coast. Sometimes you get a client on the East Coast. And all of a sudden, your mornings start with a 6 a.m. phone call. I have turned uh, down an East Coast job for that yeah, reason. Yeah. So, I mean, Andrew's not a real morning person. So, uh, yeah, Choo-choo. that ma- that makes a lot of sense. I like
0: how I answer that question just like it was asked to me personally. And you, you actually tried to reflect <laughs> back on how this might help our listeners. Well, right? we don't know
1: who, <laughs> who, this, who this question came from. It, it's an unknown person. So, I, I wanted to give a very specific answer. Love it. The Mount
0: Freelance podcast is handcrafted by the producers, mixers, and sound designers of Digital One, Portland, Oregon. Executive producer Eric Stolberg, post producer Kelsey Woods, assistant engineer Tristan Schmunk, who also created the theme song and incidental music. To learn more about Aaron, Andrew, and Mount Freelance, visit MTFreelance.com. Thanks for listening, and may your day rate be high and your vacations long. Digital One.